Thank you, Jeanette, for your powerful prayer. Yeah, remember, folks, we, we live in the kingdom of man, and we need to function there well. But uh, we belong to the kingdom of God, and um, we're supposed to live that way every day. So uh, if you have your Bibles with you or your devices, please turn to uh, 1 John chapter 4. And just a reminder, uh, this is our second to last Sunday in 1 John. Uh, next Sunday, we'll finish up uh, the book and we'll look at 1 John chapter 5. So this week, I invite you to read 1 John chapter 5 um, every day. It's a fantastic chapter, one of the best in the Bible, I believe. So uh, today we're looking at 1 John chapter 4. Now, uh, this is our fifth week in John's epistle, and we've learned, like John said, we've more than learned, we've felt, we've seen, we've known, perhaps even touched, many wonderful things. By the Spirit of God, you've been invited into the life of God, the light of God, the truth of God, and last week, the love of God. This life that John calls us into is not just about knowing intellectually. We talked about the knowers, right? The uh, intelligentsia. We talked about that a couple of weeks ago. But it's more about knowing God in a simple, pure, and powerful way. Knowing God as a love affair with Jesus. And that you hold precious the precepts of Christ. That you love the brothers and sisters from your heart. And that you partner with your heavenly Father to step out of the darkness into God's wonderful light. The last week we talked about what it means to be Abba's child. To be named by God. When you name your baby, when you have a baby, you name that baby, you take care, you want it to communicate something. Like I said last week, our daughter is Tamara Colleen. Tamara is a palm tree, a place of rest, a place of refuge. That's who she is. But you have a name and that you have been claimed by God. And God says to each and every one of you that knows him, you're mine. You belong to God. Joseph had the privilege of naming Jesus, and he wasn't even a blood relation of Jesus. And when Joseph named Jesus, he was basically saying to that little baby, you're mine. You're not adopted. You're not a, you're not a something else. You are my son. You're mine. And that leads us to the revelation that we talked about last week in 1 John chapter 3, verse 1. Behold what manner of love the Father has given us, that we should be called the children of God, and so we are. That amazing verse that tells us who we are. You are Abba's child. And this manner of love, this type of love, this kind of love, this brand of love, goes far beyond your knowing Jesus. It is an otherworldly, kind of extraterrestrial, beyond our ability to see or understand kind of love. To live as Abba's child means that my life is no longer grounded in or dependent on where I work or how much money I make or how popular I am or what status I achieve or what neighbor I, what I live in or how many people like me or don't like me. My identity is rooted and grounded in one rock-solid truth. I belong to him and I am always 
always and always will be Abba's child. Now, that's not even the sermon. That's just the introduction. (laughs) My note here says, take a breath, okay? (laughs) Now, again in chapter 4, for the third time, John says, by now the obvious, God is love. Dozens of times in 1 John, John reminds us, God is love. And John, remember, says, listen, I don't, I'm not just saying this. I knew him. I touched him. I felt him. I heard him. Jesus, I was with him the whole time, right? God is love. I wonder if you really get that. I mean, if you feel it deep in your bones, do you understand it? Do you feel it? Do you have access to that? God is love. Now, in the Old Testament, Uh, There was a phrase that was used several times. It was used in Jeremiah, Isaiah, and Daniel. And that phrase was this. The word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. The word of the Lord came to Isaiah. The word of the Lord came to Daniel. Now, an exact translation of that from the Hebrew is this. The word of the Lord happened to Jeremiah. The word of the Lord happened to Isaiah. The word of the Lord happened happened to Daniel. My prayer for each and every one of us here this morning and each and every one of us listening online is that the word of the Lord will happen to you today. Let's pray. Father, we are your children. We are one small portion of your family on this great earth. And we have come today to worship you, and we have come today, Lord, to understand your love for us. And my prayer for every one of us, Lord, is that the word of the Lord would happen to each and every one of us. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. 1 John chapter 4. We're going to be looking at four verses, verses 7 through 10. Now, there is so much in this chapter. And as you've been reading it this week, you probably thought, I wonder if he's going to preach on that. I wonder if he's going to preach on that. Well, I've focused on these four verses that really focus on what Frederick Buechner calls the furious love of God. Listen to these words. Dear friends, let us continue to love one another. For love comes from God. Anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God. There's that that absolute surety of your salvation. You see that in chapter 5, that you have this absolute surety you're saved. But anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. This is real love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. Now, this section of scripture, uh, it's kind of a long paragraph. Remember, uh, paragraphs weren't put originally in the Bible. They were just kind of all text. And, uh, but this, this passage extends to chapter 5, verse 3. You might want to read that uh, and get the whole context. But what John says about love is that God is love. And he has, now listen to this, he has set his love upon us. His love has happened to us. 
He is the initiator. He is the first one, the logos. And driven by his own love for us, he has pursued us and as was willing to pay the enormous price, the life of his own son, to win us, to reconcile us, and to redeem us. This glorious message. God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world that we might have eternal life through him. Now, the good news of this is that we have the courage, if we have the courage to open our hearts and to step into this furious love of God, Frederick Buchner, this furious love of God. Now, that doesn't mean that God's mad at you. <laughs> it means that God is powerful and his love is overwhelming for you, that kind of love. And that love will change us. It'll transform us in very distinct ways that we find in the text. Now, if you press into this love, this furious love of God, you will, first of all, tra- it will transform who you are. This is very, very personal, who you are. There'll be a change of identity. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 13, we read these words. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. There was a time when there was a a wall uh, between us, this wall of hostility we read about in Ephesians chapter 2. And this wall of hostility, we have built that wall between us and God brick by brick, sin by sin. It's on us. It's not, nobody else did it to us. It's on us. I mean, people say, well, you know, God's, you know, God's just going to send people to hell that he doesn't like. No, no. God doesn't send people to hell. People choose to go around the cross of Jesus Christ and avoid the cross. They are on their way to hell. There's a whole different way of looking at it. But this wall of hostility that we built brick by brick, sin by sin, God says, I have broken that down because of what Jesus has done. I have annihilated that wall as if it never existed. Sin separated us. Now we are near the throne of God. Our relationship, our identity is brand new. We are no longer hidden. We are no longer hiding in the shadows. We are no longer unseen or unknown. God knows your name. He knows where you live. He knows your heart. He knows everything about you. You are are his. And he says to you every day in every way, you are mine. I have bought you with the precious blood of my son, Jesus Christ. This furious love of God will change us. It'll change who we are, but it'll do something else. It will really change how we live. Now, there's many ways that our lives are changed when we experience this furious love of God. There's a purity, but the purity doesn't come, we talked about this last week, the purity doesn't come by trying to be pure. It comes by recognizing this furious love of God and then living into that love and wanting to be like Jesus. And that's where the purity comes from. We will experience peace with men, reconciliation. We'll experience peace with God. We'll experience a new kind of confidence, and we will know our destiny because our destiny has been settled. Those are different things how we live. But the text says something more. Listen to verse, uh, chapter 4, verse 18. Such love has what? No fear. Because perfect love casts out fear. If we're afraid, it is for fear of punishment, and this shows us that we have not fully experienced his perfect love. It changes how you live. No longer motivated by fear. 
No longer obeying God simply to avoid punishment. Anybody know how that feels? I mean, we hear the phrase Catholic guilt, but there's another phrase that's just as powerful. It's called evangelical guilt. (laughs) We have this sense that I've, I've got to feel guilty all the time. I've got to feel bad all the time. But when you are captured by the furious love of God, now children might know what this is like to be kind of afraid. They might be compliant and eager to please out of fear, but not because they feel pursued by love. They've been called, been drawn into, nurtured or transformed by love. They obey simply for the fear of what will happen if they don't. When I was in high school, uh, my sophomore year, I was 15 years old, and my sophomore year, uh, I, was, uh, I had two teachers that are very, very remarkable. One was Mr. Teeby, and he taught our uh, sophomore English, and I had Mr. White, Ralph White, uh, for history. And uh, I I wanted to please both of these men. I wanted to obey them. I wanted to do everything right around them, but for two completely different reasons. Mr. Teeby, the first day of school. Now, I wanted to please him because he was the junior varsity football coach, and I was on junior varsity that my, at the beginning of the year. Later, he uh, upped me to the senior or to the varsity. I think he wanted to get rid of me, but the fact is, uh, he, I, I really wanted to please him. The first day of class, they were doing announcements. In those days, the teachers would do the announcements. And he said, there's a YFC club. Anybody know what that is? And I looked around, nobody. I, I do, Mr. TV. What is it? It's Youth for Christ. Now, this was in 1962. And at that moment, he just tore into me. They shouldn't have those kind of clubs on campus. Now, this is 1962 when you still had the Ten Commandments on the walls of schools, right? But he just tore into me. They should separation of churches. And I was just terrified of him. And for the rest of the semester, because he had the power to take me off of varsity, and because he had the power, I just was afraid of him. But my other teacher, Mr. White, I love that man. He taught history in a way that made it come alive. He, wrote, he sent a handwritten note home to my parents saying how much he liked me in his class. You see, the reason I obeyed and wanted to be part of Mr. White's class was because I was really overwhelmed with love for him and love for the subject. Mr. Teeby, it was all because of fear. Many of you obey because of fear. Maybe you think there's somehow a a get-out-of-hell-free card or to avoid eternal punishment. There's some kind of a fear thing going on. But God wants us to live with him, not in fear, but in love. Brennan Manning, the author of Ragamuffin Gospel, was doing research for a book in the Deep South and uh, about 100 years ago. And uh, the phrase, born again, which we're very familiar with, the phrase born again was hardly ever used in the deep south 100 years ago. Instead, when they were talking about the life transformation in Jesus, the phrase that was used in the deep south was this, to be seized by the power of a great affection. <laughs> Isn't that great? I mean, that speaks to you. I mean, born again sounds good, but you have to kind of figure it out. What does that mean? But to be seized by the power of a great affection. I mean, this shows God's initiative and the explosive nature of transformation. It's so different than I'm afraid God will not approve of me or he'll send me to hell. Or I, Instead, it's I've been seized by the power of a great affection. Of course I want to love God. Of course I want to be pure. Of course I want to serve him. It's a completely different way to live. 
To be seized by the power of her great affection gives new meaning to the old Russian proverb that those who have the disease called Jesus will never be cured. I want that disease. I want that disease because when you open your heart to and step into and receive the furious love of God, it changes the way you are. It changes how you live. No longer fear. But thirdly, it changes how you love and why you obey. 1 John 5, 3. This is the last verse in this section. Loving God means keeping his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome. His commandments are not burdensome. Now, when his commandments are a checklist, mm, I don't do that, I don't do that, I, ooh, I'm not very good here. You know, when, when you're looking at the Ten Commandments and saying, well, seven out of ten is not bad, right? No, that's not what we're looking for. God is looking for this love. Let's see, the Ten Commandments are basically this. I'm giving you these to tell you how to stay out of trouble, <laughs> I'm giving these so that you're not going to be in trouble with yourself or in trouble with other people. That's what that was all about. But God says it's not about that. It's not about a list of do's and don'ts. But these are things that we do for love, not for fear. Same behavior, right? Different motivation. Do you do them for love or for fear? Now, we're coming up to the Christmas season. And um, so I'm going to watch about 40 Christmas Hallmark movies. I do it kind of out of fear, but mostly I do it out of love, right, for this beautiful lady. And uh, I'm, I go to tea parties once in a while, and I go to Shakespeare, and, and once in a great while I go to have Indian food. That's what love requires. That's what love looks like. When we were courting... Um, I mean, I've never been a phone guy. You know, I had three sisters, three teenage sisters when I was a teenager, so I never got the phone. I never smelled it. But, but when, I, when Sherry and I were courting, when I was a senior in college and she was a freshman in college, when we were courting, we would talk on the phone for an hour. I haven't talked on the phone for an hour for 50 years. I mean, today, if you see our texts, Sherry's texts are novellas. Mine are yes, no, or call me. See, that, that's the difference. But the thing is, what do you do for love, Right? For love, you stay up all night with a sick child, right? When I, was, uh, when I graduated from seminary in 1978, then a year later, you are ordained in our denomination, the Covenant Church. And our ordination was in, was it uh, Colorado Springs? Fort Collins, uh, 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 on the campus of CU, uh, Colorado, Colorado, University of Colorado, Fort Collins. And so, um, what? Colorado State, CSU. That's, that was it. Yeah, that was it. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Yes, Fort Collins, Colorado State University, not uh, that other place. And so, uh, I, so I, I, that was our ordination. About a, a week before my ordination, my mother fell and broke her kneecap. So she was hospital. She couldn't walk. She could, so my parents said, you know what? As much as we'd love to come to your ordination, we can't do it. Well, so Sherry and I went and our children, and we were there getting ready for that. And I found out later that my mom said to my dad, Tommy, you need to go. I don't know how you're going to do it. You need to so my dad called his dad, my grandfather, Grandpa Cross, and he said, hey, Dad, you want to go on a road trip? This is the night before. They drove all night, 1,000 miles. They drove all night from San Diego to, uh, to uh, Colorado Springs. I, I'm sorry, Fort Collins. <laughs> Keep me on track. To Fort Collins, and they showed up at my ordination. 
Uh, that's what you do for love, right? That, that's not out of fear. Um, the men's shelter in Mesa that our church used to really sponsor is the kind of thing you do for love. The fall festival that we just came off of, we had a lot of money and resources and people hours and all of that tied up in the fall. That's what we do for love for our community. The commandments are not burdensome. They're not difficult. They're not easy, right, or breezy, but authentic love is never easy. Quite honestly, it's easier to have an arrangement with God. Um, It's easier to just have a kiss on the cheek or maybe even be committed enough to um, say, "Let's, let's live together. But God doesn't want any of that. God wants a marriage. He wants a committed, lifelong, what does love require? The furious love of God is what he wants from us. It's easier to have an arrangement, but that passionate love of God, that furious love of God is somewhat demanding, right? It's a big love, a, a big promise, and it can be scary. But love costs, and love says, I'm in. You can count on me. Listen to verse 16. We know how much God loves us, and we have put our trust in his love. We know and rely on the fact that God loves us. And now this kind of love comes on strong, and it might be, it is much easier to be religious. But this passion, the hymn writer Isaac Watts says, you sang this about 12 minutes ago in When I Survey the Wondrous Cross. You, this is the words you sang. I heard you. Love so amazing, so divine, demands what? My soul, my life, my all. And some of you are saying, I'm not sure I want that kind of love. Maybe I just want a God that a kiss on the cheek, or maybe we just kind of go out once in a while. No, no. God says, the furious love of God overwhelms you. Now, the word of God employs a wide scale of metaphors to describe our relationship with God in Christ. And when we put them in an ascending order, there's a noticeable and powerful progression in the intensity of our relationship. Now, all of these describe at some level our relationship with God, right? But um, just listen to the way that this kind of ascends, right? So we, we recognize that we said this, we saw this when we studied Jeremiah a few weeks, a few months ago, uh, that uh, he is the potter, we are the clay. Now, in that relationship, I understand it because sometimes I, I just feel like a lump, right? And God comes in and says, okay, take hands off. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fix you. I'm going to change you. I'm going to put you on the potter's wheel, and I'm going to make you into I want. So sometimes that relationship, I understand that. Sometimes I just say, okay, God, I've, I've kind of messed this thing up. Just take over and make me however you want me to be. So that, that's one of the metaphors that we use for our relationship with God. But then we kind of move up a notch. He is the shepherd. We are the sheep. Now, this is up a notch in the food chain. It's not very complimentary because sheep are neither graceful nor intelligent, but uh, that's still some kind of a symbiotic relationship that we have with the shepherd. And then from there, you move up to the master and the servant. Now, I can live in this one. I'll I'll bet you can too. Because I, I know exactly what's going on, right? God's the master. I'm the servant. And yes, I, I want someday for him to say, well done, my good and faithful servant. I mean, being a servant gets me in the house, gets me in the door. I, it's better than a piece of clay or a dumb animal, I suppose. And I'm in the house, but I don't live there. 
My role is clear. Obey my orders. Keep the list. Be nice. And you won't get fired. It's kind of like Downton Abbey, right? Uh, God is Lord Grantham and I'm Carson, or worse yet, Thomas, you know. <laughs> but it's easy to understand. You say to the servant, clean up the house and then leave. Don't forget to lock the door. But then we move up from this ladder of metaphors in John's epistle and we find this. We are his children and he is our Abba. <laughs> That's different, right, than clay or a sheep. Different than a servant. Which brings us to this possibility of an entirely different way to live. Now I belong. This is my house. I sit at the table. Love is not something that the clay and the potter share. Nor does the sheep really know the heart of the shepherd, though he may enjoy the fruits of the shepherd's kindness. And the master may like you and pat you on the head, maybe even give you a day off, but all the master really owes the servant is a paycheck. But as a son, a daughter, I matter to God. I have access to him. I belong to him. But that's not even the highest. Now I call you friend, John says. Jesus says to his disciples, friendship levels the playing field. Now I am taking my place alongside Jesus, unlike the parent or child, in the work of the kingdom, but the highest and deepest and most exhilarating metaphor for our relationship with God is when Jesus says that we are the bride and he is the groom. What kind of love is that? And what does that kind of love demand? In Ephesians 1, God lets us in on a little secret. He says, we've been more than noticed. We've been pursued. We've been pursued farther than space and longer than time because God had you in his heart before the foundation of the world and that is why he came for us to be with us and not just as clay with a potter or sheep with a shepherd or servant with a master or even child with a parent or friend with a peer, but he has called us to be with him as a bride is with her, her groom. What kind of love is that? It's passionate, it's intimate, it's eternal, that far away, distant, amazing, romantic kind of love. We didn't deserve it. We are disobedient human beings, of course, deserving of death, I know. But he stole away from heaven in the darkness of night. He became a body grew to be a man and then became sin for us. And God's son died that we might live. What kind of love is this? It is the furious love of God. He wants your laughter. He wants your tears. He wants your joys. He wants your love. And he died to get it. That is the heart of God. What kind of love allows the son to die so that you might live? It's the furious love of God. I want to close this message with a, a video. And uh, we've got compliance with YouTube, so I think we're good here. <laughs> Many of you have heard of an old story about a bridge, a decision that a father had to make between his own son and a trainload of people who are completely unaware of the sacrifice. It was made 
into a short film made in Czechoslovakia, and it's entitled The Bridge. <laughs>